Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Joseph James Bruce Sr. in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Let's get right to it. Grand Forks is located in eastern North Dakota, about 80 miles south of the Canadian border. With a population of just over 50,000, it's a large city by North Dakota standards, but on the small side when compared to most American cities. Grand Forks is a place where much of the produce grown in the surrounding Red River Valley is taken to be processed, which mainly consists of wheat, barley, soybeans, sunflowers, beans, maize, potatoes, and sugar beets. And in 2018, it's where Joseph Bruce Sr., Miranda Patnod, and their five children called home. Joseph, who was better known to his friends and family as Joe, and Miranda had been together for 20 years. Being a dad was the most important role in Joe's life, and he was a great one. Joe was extremely close to all of his children. His daughter, JoLynn, spoke to the Grand Forks Herald, revealing that Joe was the kind of dad who took them on trips to the zoo or the lake and made everyone around him feel welcome. In late June of 2018, Joe made the three-hour trip northwest to Belcourt, North Dakota, to visit his mom, Myrna. The plan was for him to spend several days there visiting his mom and family and friends. Miranda and the kids stayed behind in Grand Forks, and it seemed everything was going according to plan, until it wasn't. According to Inforum.com, it was just before 10 a.m. on June 25, 2018, when Joe got a phone call from Miranda, informing him that their son and Joe's namesake, Joseph Jr., had suffered a medical emergency and was being life-flighted to St. Paul's Children's Hospital in the Twin Cities. You see, 12-year-old Joseph Jr. was Joe and Miranda's youngest son, and according to elicfh.com, as an infant, he sustained a brain injury that left him disabled. He suffered from a seizure disorder and relied on a wheelchair. When Miranda called Joe to tell him about their son's medical emergency, she found out that Joe had driven down from Belcourt to Devil's Lake to visit some friends. But this was good because it placed him a little closer to St. Paul. Of course, Joe told Miranda that he was on his way. According to Miranda, as she spoke to Valley News Live, as Joe rushed to get to her and their son, before he hung up the phone, he said, Babe, I'm going to turn off my phone and I'll turn it back on when I get on the outskirts of town. It seems Joe turned off the phone to save cell phone battery since Devil's Lake is a pretty remote area with limited cell service, and we all know how quickly a constant search for a signal can drain a battery. But he was on his way. Depending on the route he took, Joe should have arrived between six to seven and a half hours later. But Joe Bruce never made it to the Twin Cities or his son's bedside. 
And that was the last time Miranda so much as spoke to him on the phone. When Joe didn't show up, Miranda knew something was very wrong. There was no way in hell Joe wouldn't have done everything in his power to be there for his son. Miranda spoke to NBC News stating, Our son was his whole world. So when Joe didn't show up that day, I knew deep down that something bad happened to him. However, law enforcement wouldn't share the family's concerns for Joe, and they were told by officials that he had probably just ran away, something that Joe's family knew would absolutely never happen. He would have never just up and abandoned his five children and the woman he had been with for 20 years. And in a time of crisis like that, that theory didn't make a lick of sense, and everyone that really knew Joe knew it was bullshit. It wasn't long before there was a huge break in Joe's case, one that left his family more worried than ever. According to Devil's Lake Police Detective Sue Schwab, in early July, Joe's van, a blue 2002 Oldsmobile silhouette, which was specially designed for Joseph Jr.'s wheelchair, was located at the end of a remote road near a marshy slough near Fort Totten on the Spirit Lake Reservation. Inferim reported that everything was left behind, the keys still dangling in the ignition. But where was Joe? The initial search of the area yielded no additional clues. On July 3, 2018, 38-year-old Joseph Joe Bruce Sr. was officially reported missing. With his van being located on the Spirit Lake Reservation, it was an obvious place to search. But searching Spirit Lake was not going to be an easy task. According to SpiritLakeNation.com, the Spirit Lake Tribe Reservation was established in 1867 by treaty between the United States government and the Sisseton Wahpeton Sioux Bands. As of January of 2021, the nation had a total enrollment of 7,559 members, comprised of Sisseton Wahpeton and the Cuthead Bands of Yankteni, some of which were placed on the reservation at its foundation. The Treaty of 1867 set the boundaries of the Spirit Lake Reservation, and it reads, Beginning at the most easterly point of Devil's Lake, thence along the waters of said lake to the most westerly part of the same, thence on a direct line to the nearest point on the Cheyenne River, thence down said river to a point opposite the lower end of Aspen Island, and thence on a direct line to the place of beginning. Needless to say, it's an incredible amount of land to search, roughly 245,000 acres in total. In addition to the vast space, Joe's family still felt neither the Fort Totten Police or the Bureau of Indian Affairs were taking Joe's disappearance seriously. For those who aren't familiar with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, according to BIA.gov, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or BIA, provides services directly or through contracts, grants, or compacts to 574 federally recognized tribes with a service population of approximately 2.5 million American Indian and Alaska Natives, offering a broad spectrum of services to include the BIA police. 
The BIA police have nationwide jurisdiction over crimes committed within or involving Indian country, and its officers are usually based near Indian reservations. BIA police officers may even enforce tribal law if deputized by the tribe or provided for by tribal ordinance or statute. The BIA was assisting the Fort Totten police in Joe's case, but even with both agencies investigating, after the discovery of the van, the trail went ice cold, and Joe's family grew more frustrated with the actions, or lack thereof, on the part of law enforcement and also the lack of communication. If police were taking Joe's case seriously, they sure weren't communicating that to his family. Joe's daughter, Joe Lynn, spoke to the Grand Forks Herald and stated, The case was just dropped within a few weeks of him going missing. They believed he took off, and then it changed to, There's not much we can do, because it's not our case. And with Fort Totten police taking the lead on the case, Technically, what law enforcement reportedly told the family was true, as the BIA was only assisting. But again, the Bureau of Indian Affairs has federal jurisdiction over many Native American lands, and the van had been found on a federally recognized reservation. At some point, two more agencies also came on board to assist in the investigation the FBI, and the Devil's Lake Police Department, although reporting of exactly when that happened is unclear. Despite the lack of communication from officials, Joe's family desperately searched for him, his children heartbroken and missing their dad. They took the search for Joe online, creating a Facebook page titled Help Bring Joe Bruce Home, posting his missing flyer on the page and throughout the community describing Joseph Bruce Sr. as 6 foot 2, 220 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Joe had a scar on his neck along with a chain tattoo with his daughter's names, Alexis, Joe Lynn, Josetta, and Stacy. In addition to the tattoo, Joe always wore a silver chain necklace with his dad's ashes and a red hat with the words Native Pride and white lettering. He often wore that hat facing backwards. As time passed, rumors flew. Calls to the police department and to Bruce's family poured in, claiming Bruce had been murdered complete with graphic details that no family should have to hear. Joe's longtime girlfriend Miranda recalled to Valley News Live that people actually called family members, saying, quote, They're never going to find him. They'll never find his body. They're looking over here for nothing. She went on to say, If you heard all the stories me and my daughter heard, it's scary. It's like, how could they do that to somebody? Time ticked on and soon a month had passed since Joe disappeared. According to Joe's family, as they spoke to the BBC, by this point, the search for Joe had fallen almost squarely on the shoulders of the women in his family, his girlfriend, his mother, and his teenage daughters. 
Every weekend, the women drove two hours to Spirit Lake, trespassed on cattle pastures and abandoned farms, sifted through trash, and walked through thick brush. They had searched the trash-strewn area where the van had been found dozens of times and picked new spots either at random from rumors they had heard or even images seen in their dreams. They used the Facebook page and asked for more volunteers to join the search. But no one did, and the media was largely silent. Miranda felt as though a major reason the police, the community, and the media never rushed in to help was due to Joe's history with police. She said, I think they pictured Joe as a bad guy, but they don't know Joe the way we know him. I just wish other people would understand too that he is somebody's dad, boyfriend, son, and brother. Joe Bruce did have several brushes with the law over the years, and at the time of his disappearance, he had an active warrant for his arrest over an incident involving Miranda. When Miranda spoke to the BBC, she asked that they not include the details, fearing it would further stall Joe's case. Eventually, the posts on social media did catch the eye of Lissa Yellowbird Chase, who, according to the Grand Forks Herald, runs the Sanish Scouts of North Dakota, a group that is dedicated to finding missing people especially those that the rest of the world has seemingly forgotten. The group came in and helped the family search on the reservation and throughout Benson and Ramsey counties. Lissa spoke out to the BBC about a hierarchy of victims that exist, something she has dealt with firsthand and how some victims are deemed worthy of searching for, while others are received with indifference as if they were culpable in their own disappearances. She went on to say that while friends and family are able to look past any flaws or imperfections of their missing or murdered loved ones, society doesn't always see it that way. What Lissa said highlights a deeper issue as to why some victims' faces and case details are splashed all over the media, as they should be and other families fight for the slightest bit of publicity or assistance with their loved one's case, and the entire reason this podcast exists. Because every case deserves media attention, and all the resources possible, regardless of the victim's race, socioeconomic status, gender, history, or any other factor that in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about saving someone's life, doesn't mean a damn thing. Back to Joe. Through all the searches, rumors, and false leads, nearly an entire year passed with no sign of Joe and tips that led nowhere. But all that changed on June 9, 2019. According to Joe's daughter, Joe Lynn, as she spoke to the Grand Forks Herald, it had been eight long months since the family had received any update from the BIA or Fort Totten Police, when on Sunday, June 9th, the family was notified that partial remains belonging to her father had been found. The fact that remains had been found was absolutely devastating, but not exactly shocking. While a glimmer of hope that Joe would be found alive always existed, his family became more convinced as time went on 
that Joe was no longer alive because if he had been, he would have done whatever it took to make it back to his children. What was shocking was where Joe's remains had been found and who had found them. Valley News Live reported that Joe's skull had been found by what they described as passerbys. Almost in the exact same spot, his van was found in Fort Totten, just days after he went missing. Miranda spoke to the outlet and said, I asked the city of Fort Totten plenty of times to please drain those sloughs and to search those sloughs, but they never did. Two days later, on June 11th, the partial remains found were officially identified as those of Joseph James Bruce Sr. According to KFYR-TV, after the recovery of the partial remains, the FBI took the lead in the case. The agency announced that further testing of the remains needed to be completed in order to determine Joe's cause of death and that they were raising the reward for information to $10,000. Six months after that announcement, on December 3, 2020, Inforum.com reported on Joe's case, revealing that local law enforcement had uncovered new leads due to the increased reward and progress on the case was being made. Devil's Lake Police Detective Sue Schwab spoke to the outlet and said, the police continued to interview people about what might have happened on the day Joe disappeared. She stopped short of calling anyone a suspect, but did say people had been identified that could hold information about what happened to Joe. She went on to say that Joe's case remained a high priority for the Devil's Lake Police Department, along with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the FBI and that tips were being checked out as they came in, but the agencies were still waiting on that one piece that would break the case wide open. Someone out there holds that piece of the puzzle that will solve Joe's case. And it's beyond time to speak up. This family deserves answers. There is still a $10,000 reward being offered by the FBI for information regarding the death of Joe Bruce Sr. To date of this recording, no further remains have been found, and police have not publicly announced the results of any testing done on the remains that were recovered. Miranda Patnod also spoke to the Inforum, revealing that in June of 2020, 14-year-old Joseph Jr. also passed away due to complications of his disability. She went on to say, My kids and myself are still dealing with it. We actually just lost my son, Joseph Jr., in June of this year, too. It's taken a pretty big toll on my kids, losing their dad and their little brother. And we're just hoping someday pretty soon we'll know who did this to him and what they did to him. Joe's mother Myrna spoke to Dateline, stating, My only solace is that Joe is with his son now, and with his brother and his father. They're all at peace now, I hope. Joseph James Smith Jr. was not only a father of five, but also one of his mother's five sons. He was six foot two and over 200 pounds. But things hadn't always been that way. 
Myrna recalled to Dateline that when he was born, he was so small that he could fit in the palm of your hand. As a child, his family gave him the nickname Little Big Man, which his mom believed still fit him as an adult. Myrna said, He was a big guy, but he had a soft, kind heart. Joe would break up a fight or an argument between his brothers and say, Stop it. We're all we've got. He was like that. He'd help anyone who needed something. He'd give the shirt off his back. She went on to say, He wasn't a saint by any means, but he was my boy. And he was a good man. Whoever did this didn't just murder Joe, they murdered his entire family. Our family has never been the same after this tragedy. If you have any information about the disappearance or death of Joseph Joe Bruce, please contact the FBI's Minneapolis field office at 763-569-6011. Once again, that's 763-569-6011. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all-new case next week, and I can't wait. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.